I'm good? Okay. Oh, yeah. Good morning. I am so glad to be here. Um, I love First Baptist Church. I, I, um, I remember when I was young, uh, my Uncle Doug Miller, he used to take us out to the farm. And we would stay Friday night, come home sometime Saturday afternoon. And on Sunday, uh, I had to be at First Baptist Church. And I would sit up there in that balcony up there just so that he would look to see was I up there because next Friday we were going to the farm and we were going to stay overnight. And one Sunday I decided to test that theory. And on Sunday morning I wasn't sitting up in there in the balcony and come Friday I said, Uncle Doug, we going to the farm? He said, not today. And he was always true to the Lord. And he taught me that. It took him many years for me to come to know Christ, but he, he showed me Christ every day. Every day I met him. Every day I was with him. And I, I, I'm just so thankful. Um, back then, Preacher Zedek was here. And um, I didn't know much about church, and I really weren't paying a lot of attention up in that balcony. But I knew that if I wanted to be the man that Doug Miller was, I had to find a place. And... 32 years old, I found the place. It just took me a long time. I'm slower than most people. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 4. And I just want to thank you all for allowing me to be here. I do ask that you pray for us at camp tonight. The staff will begin to come in. What, what staff we have, we don't have a, a whole lot of them. I guess we're like everybody else. Nobody wants to work. Um, we are still a couple of... Uh, girl counts are short, the guy counts are short, and children are coming in another week, and I keep telling the Lord, I'm not going to panic, but let me tell you, I'm starting to panic. Um, time's drawing near, and sometimes that happens. I also want you to know this, I was, I was on the way over here this morning and saw that I was a little bit early and decided to pull into Starbucks and get me some of that $5 coffee, and um and my phone rang, and it was your pastor. And he prayed for me, but let me tell you, he didn't just pray for me, he prayed for you. And he prayed for those guys running that sound up there. And he prayed for those people that are back in the nursery. And he prayed for those people that led the music a while ago. I want you to know, Jamie loves y'all. And he wants you to, to be so close to the Lord that there's no way anything could ever separate you. You could never walk away. He wants you to always walk in God's will. And, and as most of you know that, um, I don't know, back in September, I went to the doctor for a uh, wellness check. I told Pam, you'll be hard-pressed to ever get me to go back to another doctor for another wellness check. <laughs> because I went in there for a simple wellness check and came out with Whew, boy, your chest x-ray don't look good. I'm like, okay, I had COVID, so my chest x-ray don't look good. That's what I'm thinking. So he sends me for a CT, and I'm driving down 38, and Dr. Fitzgibbon said, hey, man, you ain't driving, are you? I said, yeah. He said, well, let me call you back when you get home. I said, look, Doc, if it's bad news, just shoot it out there. I'll be all right. He said, I need you to go back for another CT of your abdomen. And I thought, well, why? 
He says, you got some nodules on your lungs. And I'm like, nodules? I wasn't real sure what that was. I might have been paramedic, but I didn't remember that term. So I said, okay, fine. I went back for a, uh, another CT. And then he made me all kind of appointments with all kind of other people, like oncologists and pulmonologists. And I'm like, why are we doing all this? So you know what, you know what my deduction came to? Dr. Fitzgibbon just overreacting. <laughs> this, ain't, this ain't nothing. And so I ended up in a CT room doing a lung biopsy. Um, don't ever have one of them unless you have to. That was zero fun. And then I go to the oncologist because her appointment happened to come up first. And she walked in the room and she, I told Pam, I said, my goodness, she looks every bit of 10. <laughs> and she was telling me all kind of stuff and all of a sudden she just looked at me and she says, well, your lung biopsy shows that you have kidney cancer. That's what I did. And then I looked there and I said, that's not possible. First of all, there's something in between that kidney and them lungs. She says, yeah, but be glad it went this way and not this way. Or we wouldn't have very good news for you. And she kept talking and I kept looking. And that little room, you know, them little exam rooms are small to start with. But when someone tells you you got cancer, that thing starts getting smaller. And she kept asking me, was I all right? And I kept telling her I was. And the whole time I'm looking like this and... Pam's rubbing my shoulder like this, patting me. Donald, it's just a bump in the road. And the whole time I'm thinking, it ain't your road. It's my road, and I don't like it. I don't like the journey. And, and that lady told me, she said, we can do this, and we can do this, and we can do this, and we can do this. I said, you can stop right there. Pam leaned up in that chair, got her face right in front of mine, and said, you will be taking treatments. And I told that lady, I said, look, what I got, I know nothing about. So I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. Exactly what you tell me to. Don't run through all that stuff. I don't need to know. Just tell me what you want me to do. And since October 21st, we've been taking treatments. The Lord has been really good thus far. And I, I fully intend for him to be really good all the way through to the end. Um, I have the best oncologist in the world as far as I'm concerned. That little woman that looks 10 years old is one of the smartest people I've ever met. She told me from day one at six months what was going to happen to me. And I said, there's no way. And at six months, it happened. And I'm fully convinced she says that she'll get me to um, remission and we're going to get there. And I just believe she are because you know why I believe we are? Because she said we are. Well, there's a story in the Bible here in Mark 4 that tells us something. And he, he's, Jesus has been teaching. He's had, he's had big crowds. He's, had to, he's kind of pushed out into the water a little bit. And he's, he's in this boat. And he's, he's talking to these big crowds. And, and church is, is going and all of this. And, and Jesus is preaching. And everything's going good. And now He tells His disciples, He says, come on guys, get in the boat. And he tells him something that's absolutely amazing. He said, we are going to the other side. And you know what they did? They got in the boat. And they headed for the other side. Watch what happens in chapter 4 and verse 33. It says that he would speak a word to them 
with many parables like these, and they were unable to understand. And He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately. He would explain everything to His own disciples. It was like when He said, guys, I want you to come on over here. We're going to the other side. He's going to give them a little private word. He's going to give a little inside information to these parables He's been using so that they can better understand, so that they can go out and tell the world about the love of Jesus Christ. And then this happens. It says, on that day when evening had come, He told them, He said, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they left the crowd and they took him along since he was already in the boat. And the other boats were with him and a fierce windstorm arose and the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. So they woke him up and they said, Teacher, do you care that we're dying? And he got up. He rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Silence, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Then he said to them, Why are you fearful? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked one another, Who then is this, that even the waves and the sea obey him? Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to open your word. Lord, I beg you to make it more than words on a page that it'll be real and it'll be something we can apply to our life and something we can carry out these doors to a lost and a dying world with confidence that you are in control. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So they've been in church, so to speak, all day. Disciples are now in the boat. And as they get in the boat, I want you to think about this because I'll tell you right now, I cried for a month thinking I'm going to die. Because cancer means you die, okay? That's, that's how I interpret it. C means D, die. Because that's what follows C, D. And I, I remember when I was first told, I thought, oh my gosh, Lord, are you not going to let me see Charlie be born? Because Jenny was pregnant with her first child. My grandbaby was going to be the namesake of my dad. I was like, really? How can you do that? Lord, are you not going to let me see Stevenson? Finally make that journey home from Haiti for Robbie and Allison. Are you, are you really not going to let me see that? And I was sitting here singing. Well, I quit singing. Because we were singing, I believe in God the Father. And I looked right over there. There's Charlie. Every day I ever. And I said, thank you, Lord. I got to see Charlie. And three weeks later, I got to see Stevenson Foreman make his track home from Haiti. And I thought, you know, the Lord really is good. And I was thumbing through the computer one day and I ran across Dr. Tony Evans. If you don't know Tony Evans, he's the pastor of Urban um, Authority. I think he's great. Um, And he was preaching this sermon. He said a few things that really stuck to me. Now, I want to tell you that because I'm not smart enough for some of this stuff, and some of this stuff I stole from him. Okay, so I want to be straight up. So some of this stuff come from Dr. Tony Evans, some of this stuff come from me. But let me tell you what all of it did. It brought me peace and comfort that I could go out into a lost and dying world and share the gospel of Jesus Christ no matter what my inside circumstance and condition is. So here they are. 
Jesus says, boys, let's go get in the boat. They get in the boat. They were in the will of God when they got in the boat. Do you know how I know they were in the will of God? Because Jesus said, get in, the, get in the boat, and they said, okay, and they got in the boat. That's what it means to be in the will of God. Do what He says do. And they did it. So I know when they got in the boat, when they stepped in that boat, they were in the will of God. And, and I know there was another thing about that boat when they stepped in it, and that was this, Jesus was also in the boat. It is smooth sailing. Man, it is sunshine, and it looks great, and they're heading out, and He says, we're going to the other side. I got up that morning, I put my clothes on, and I headed to Dillon Family Medicine, and the sun was shining, it was looking good, and He messed around and took an x-ray. And clouds started forming. But you know what I know? That day in September... I was in the will of God, and Jesus was in the boat. I know that. And so you know what? A couple things you can learn right here, right off the bat in this passage. You know, this wind came up, this problem came up, and when problems come up, we kind of take our eye off of who it is that controls the wind and the rain, and we no longer pay any attention to that, and we begin to look at the circumstances, and the Bible says when that thing arose, that they were terrified, they were scared, they didn't know what to do. Folks, these were professional fishermen. This wasn't their first rodeo. They had been on that water before. They had fished on that water every day. That, that way had run across storms before. But this storm obviously had to be different. And the storm caught them in the will of God. You know what you can learn from this? First thing, when you're in the will of God, it can rain. We are not exempt from problems. We're not exempt from those things that just feel like our whole world falls apart. We're, we're not exempt from bad news. We're not exempt from those things. I, I just, every, every time I turn around, you know, Pam would tap me on that shoulder that day and she would say, it's just a bump in the road. It's just a bump in the road. Two weeks later, a lady from Brute Fork Church that battled breast cancer, she sent me this thing. And you know what the name of that thing was? That little point thing? It was called the bend in the road. I said, Lord, are you trying to tell me something? And a month later, my brother sent me a book by David Jeremiah, and it was called When Your World Falls Apart. And it's really about his battle with cancer. And he said, Don, I really think you ought to read this. So I'm sitting in there in the doctor's office because, you know, we ain't no hurry in the doctor's office. And I flipped it open to the first chapter. You know what the name of the first chapter was? The Bend in the Road. That's when I begin to understand I can be in the will of God and still it rains. It rains. Folks, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're going through, but let me just tell you something. Your first question is going to be, Lord, I'm doing everything you tell me to do. Why are you letting this happen to me? What in the world is going on? Where are you? You're in the will of God. And Jesus is in the boat. There's another thing that we can also learn just from these opening verses here, and that's this. The storm's merciless. 
You know, it, 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 came, it can come down on you so fast. It can consume you. That boat was filling up. Them disciples were in the boat. And it was, their boat was trying to fall apart. And everything was going to pieces. Have you ever been in that situation? Where it just seemed like nothing else. Man, I'm telling you, I thought of nothing else. It was just consuming me. It was taking me away. I called Jamie. I said, Jamie, I don't know what to do. I said, I am petrified. I am scared to death. I am terrified. I don't know what to do. That's not right. I'm a minister of the Gospel of Jesus Christ and I am scared to death. And Jamie in his loving, kind way says, oh, so you're not human? He said, because if you're human, you're going to be scared. The spiritual side of you knows the deal. I thought, but you don't understand, Jamie. This storm is merciless. It's trying to consume me and it's being successful. Don't you know that's how the disciples felt? They got in that boat with Jesus right in the center of His wheel. He says we're going to the other side. That means we're not going to have any problems, right? Because Jesus said we're going to the other side. And the storm came. And the boat was falling apart. It was filling with water. And they learned that the storm was merciless. You ever wondered what a storm was? A storm is an unexpected circumstance that invades your life and that threatens your very existence. It's not a toothache. It's not an earache. It's the place where your life is on the line and you don't know if you're going to make it out or not. See, but we have to remember that that storm is designed for a reason. You know what a storm's designed for? To increase your faith. To, to increase your faith and give you a deeper experience with your Lord. That's what it's designed for. I, I tell people a lot, I tell them this. I always knew I lived in the grace of God. But after October... When that lady told me that, the week, about the 14th, the week before my first treatment, I learned that what it is to live in the grace of God. The experience is much deeper. The experience is much more because now I can't do it anymore. I have to trust Him. I don't have any other choice. There's nothing I can do. The storm's designed for that. Increase your faith and deeper your experience with the Lord. Um, storms aren't very pleasant. They're uncomfortable and sometimes they're life-threatening, but every storm that comes in your life has a purpose. See, the disciples are in a crisis. They're fishermen. They're professional fishermen. They're in a storm. They're scared to death. And when we look at that storm, that storm is really threefold. It's really three storms in one. See, the, the first storm that we run across here is a circumstantial storm. When, when you think of that, that's a storm that you have no control of. That's a, they can't control the wind. They can't control the waves. They can't control anything. The circumstances are taking care of that storm. There's things that you can't do. And, and therefore, when, when, when you can be in the will of God and you can't do nothing about it, and the circumstances have placed you there to give you a hopeless, helpless feeling, folks, that's a circumstantial storm. And they're in it. What, what can they do? Jesus is in the boat. And they're in the will of God. And the storm still came. 
And they can't tell the wind to stop. They can't tell the waves to stop. They can't control anything going on. Folks, I'm telling you, there's storms in your life you cannot control. No matter how hard you try. And the circumstances absolutely overwhelm you to make you question things you shouldn't question. But there's a second part of this storm or a second storm, and that's the emotional storm. The Bible says they were terrified. They were scared to death. Their emotions had risen and, and they were just at a peak and they were scared to death. You know, it's, it's kind of like when you go to that doctor and you get that bad doctor's report or you, you, you get that bad financial report or your relationship's going in the wrong direction. Um, it, you're just scared of whatever it is that you can't control. It's a storm so deep and so big and so devastating that you cannot take care of it. I don't know about all men, but I know about this one. I think I should be able to control everything. I don't think there's anything I can't fix. And, and I can tell you that Pam don't think there's anything I can't fix either. Because we're fixers. We're problem solvers. That is in our DNA. That's what we do. But when that storm comes, when that, when that circumstantial comes, storm comes and that emotional storm sets in and you can't fix it. It's a storm that there's so much emotional instability that you're in an uncontrollable circumstance. But then there's the third part of this storm which is really a separate storm and that is this. It's a, it's a spiritual storm. It's a it's a theological storm. These, these circumstances are out of crazy. They've gone, gone wild. The emotions have gone wild. And, and you begin to even question that what you've been believing is true. I don't know if everybody's done that, but you know, probably the truth's told, there's many of us that's questioned God. Many of us that thought, you know, I'm not sure that I'm believing this anymore. Because see, what I'm hearing on Sunday is not what's happening on Monday. Folks, what I've been preaching on Sunday ain't what happened to me on that next day. And you begin to say, is this really real? Is this really what we need to go? Folks, let me tell you, when storms come, they come all threefold. The circumstances you can't control, your emotions go crazy, and you begin to question, you begin to doubt. I remember years ago, we couldn't find Robbie one Sunday morning. And, and I sat there and I prayed and prayed. I don't know where he's at. He'd been out the night before in Greenville. The roads were icy. Had no idea where he was. And I sat there and prayed and prayed and said, Lord, you've got to make that phone ring. And I thought, good night. What is taking so long, Lord? I went out in the yard just in case the ceiling got in the way. And I began to question, Lord, do you hear me? My boy's missing. And I don't know where he's at. And you begin to question it. You begin to wonder why your Sunday don't match your Monday. You know, a preacher once said this. He says, you care, but I don't see you caring for me. I'm not sure if this is real. Don't you care? How many times have you sat down and asked the Lord that question? Don't you care? 
Do you understand that my child's going fool? Don't you care? Lord, did you hear what that doctor said? Don't you care? Lord, my daddy's dying. You know how many times I said that? Don't you care? These storms will make you question what you believe. The disciples in the boat, they're struggling. Jesus is asleep. So they had to ask the question, where are you? You know, if you care for me, why would you let me be in a place like this? Don't you care? Isn't that what the disciples said? Go back there and read it. You'll see it. It says, don't you care? This creator of the universe, this savior, sustainer, He's asleep in the boat. The Bible's even so, they, they want you to understand this so much. They said he had a cushion under his head. Really? Lord, do you not know what's going on here? We are dying. Don't you care? You know what the disciples said? They've been following him. They've watched him. They watched him raise the dead. They watched him heal the sick. They, they watched him do a number of different things. And now they're in a boat in the will of God. Jesus is in the boat and he is asleep. Hey, don't you care? You know how many times I've said that? <laughs> in that first month, don't you care? Do you understand what I'm going through? Do you, where are you? I need you now. I don't need you next week, next year. I need you now. Have you ever said that? They just come from the church service, so to speak, and they had, and, and now things have gotten tough, and, and they, they begin to ask Jesus, don't, don't you care about my pain, my finances, my hurt, my depression? I, I, I'm in his will, and I feel like this. So in verse 39, they woke Jesus up. And he says, Ah, just hush your fuss there, wind and waves. They wake him up in the middle of the crisis. Let me give you a learning point here. I want you to get this one. If you don't get no other one, get this one. You ready? Don't let it be said that your crisis continues because you never took time to wake up the Savior. Listen. There's not a place in the Bible where Jesus interferes or does anything to anybody without permission. If you're in the middle of a crisis, in the middle of a storm, don't let it be said of you that you didn't wait to save your up. Let me tell you something about him. He was laying in that boat. He was on that cushion. He was chilled out, sound asleep. And the human side of him was tired and he was resting. But let me tell you about his deity. It never sleeps and it never rests. And though his body was asleep in that boat, his deity knew everything that was going on around him. And he was still in control. And he needed a storm to come into the disciples' life so that they could increase their faith, that they could learn more about who he is. And he let the storm go. I love that song. I don't ever remember the name of it, but in the words of the song, it says this. It says, sometimes he calms the storm 
But sometimes he calms the child. Folks, sometimes he just wraps his arms around you in the crisis and he holds on to you and he lets you know, I love you, I care for you. And sometimes he steps out and he tells your crisis, your problem, your storm, peace be still. When I learned that, that I, I learned that I'm in the center of God's will, I, I learned that He's in the boat with me, and I learned that His deity is not asleep, though His human body is asleep, that He was still in control of my storm. And I don't know where the storm's going to go, and they didn't know where the storm was going to go, except they should have known one thing. They were going to the other side. Because they told them they were. They're going to the other side. You know, he wakes up, he looks at them, he says, why are you afraid? Why have you have no faith? You know, I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm a visual kind of reader. I'm, I'm different. I'm not a real smart person. But when I read stuff that, I kind of think it. And Jesus is sitting there and he's asleep in the boat. And I think about that storm beating over on top of him. And I'm probably soaking wet because the water's all over me. I'm aggravated as I can be because he's sleeping in the boat. And he wakes up and says, where's your faith? You know, why don't you have any faith? I'd have looked at him and said, hey man, do you not know I'm dying here? Where's your faith? You want me to tell you where your faith went? It went in the emotional part of the storm. When you begin to question, do I really believe what I believe? Because what's happening on Sunday? It ain't happening on Monday. I can control whether I'm in the will of God or not. You can control whether you're in the will of God or not. You choose to be in God's will. He tells you to do something, just do it. Sometimes it don't make sense. You just do it. But you can't control the storm. The storm's all His. But you've got to remember the promise. You know what the promise was? Let's go to the other side. 25 years ago, I was a paramedic on an ambulance. Actually, 27 years ago, I was a paramedic on an ambulance. And Keith Arnell was leaving Camp Pine Hill. And I filled out a resume. And I sent it to them. And they sent it back to me and said they weren't going to hire me. That they were going to hire the very first um, director they had, Mr. Bob Thomas, Reverend Bob Thomas. And I was like, really? Now, now Lord, you, you the one told me to do this. And did you tell me to do this just so I could be embarrassed and, and made look stupid because I really believe God called me to Camp Pine Hill? And I was angry. Two years later, Bob Thomas left Camp Pine Hill. 25 years ago. And I took that very same resume I wrote the first time. I changed the date on it and sent it to him again. And you know what? I went for an interview in McCall, South Carolina at somebody's house. And I got over there and they began to ask me all kinds of questions like, how are you going to get the kids coming back? You know what kind of answer they got? I don't know. Just, I really, I don't. I don't know how we're going to make that work. I'm going to go out and ask them to come back, though. 
And they kept asking me that same question almost different ways. And I, I finally looked at them and I said, look, I said, just maybe um, God wants a dummy at Camp Pine Hill that has to listen to him. I came home. Pam said, how'd it go? I said, it was great. We rode up to Camp Pine Hill on that weekend, and I said, we can do this here and this over here and this over here. She said, no, they haven't hired you yet. I said, they are. They just don't know it yet. Do you know why? Because I knew God told me I'd be going to Camp Pine Hill. And they hired me. They wanted a college degree. Folks, I spent six years in high school. I made that long term. You think I went to college? They wanted someone that was ordained. The only pulpit I'd been preaching from was in the back seat of an ambulance looking at a stretcher. And I looked at my wife and told her, hey, they're going to hire me. They just don't know it. In February the 1st of 1997, they hired me. The Lord told me I was going on this journey, and I went on this journey. And for the last 25 years, I know I've been in the will of God. I don't know where the journey goes or where the journey ends, but I know I'm on the journey. And so this here cancer thing, it just don't know it lost yet. Because God's not through with me. You know why? Because about a month into it, I woke him up. Do you care that I'm dying? He assured me he does. And you know, there's another thing about this whole story too. If them folks had died on that boat, um, they still would have won. See, I can't win. Only my family can lose. And they would only lose me. But I win regardless. So make sure in the middle of your crisis, in the middle of your storm, I'm telling you, Jesus is already in the boat. But you need to wake him up. You need to let him know. Hey, do you care? And he'll step out in the middle of your storm and he'll say, shh, peace be still. And the wind and the waves will go away. Or you'll feel him wrap you so tight that you know that he's going to ride out the storm with you. See, because when they left, it was happy sun and shining and they got in that boat with Jesus and when the circumstance just came up, they had all, the circumstances overrode all that Jesus said. In other words, the problem override Jesus' promise. If, if we live in the light of the promise, but when all this is overridden by the problem, we no longer live in the light of the problem. We live in the light of the problem. How far do you think you'll go there when you live in the light of the problem? See, but when we live in the light of, when we don't live in the light of the problem, um, it can't dominate us. It can't, it can't do any of those things, but the promise can override anything that the problem has started. God never wants your circumstances to trump His Word and He never wants your circumstances to trump His presence. He was in the boat. And Jesus speaks to the problem and you see circumstances change 
And when they were in the storm, they were afraid. But then when he said, peace be still, folks, don't you catch this? They were more afraid. That storm was bad. That professional fishermen were terrified. But did you catch that in that last verse there? After he said, peace be still, and the wind and the waves went, the Bible says that they were more terrified. They were more scared. Too many of us still have him in the manger. We still have him, that little Christmas program. We still have him in a manger. Too many of us don't even know who we're dealing with. Did you hear what the disciples said? They've been with him, folks. They've been with him the whole time. They watched him. They watched the withered hand. They watched the blind to see. They watched the dead rise again. They watched the lame to walk. And when they got in that boat that day, in the will of God, with Jesus in the boat, who did they get in the boat with? Well, let me tell you who they got in the boat with. You ready? Jesus, the man. Too many of us are following Jesus, the man, because we still have Him in a manger somewhere. We still have Him somewhere because He's a man. He's Jesus, the man. Now you say, you don't know that. Well, I do know that. You know why I know that? Because this is what they say. What manner of what? Man is this. That even the wind and the waves obey. And they were terrified. See, their problem was they were afraid of the wrong thing. <laughs> they got in the boat with Jesus the man. They got out of the boat with Jesus who is God, the Creator, the Savior of the world. He doesn't send us on a journey to harm us, but that we may know Him deeper. Because I've learned so much in the past six or seven months. Because, you know, He stepped out on the bow of my heart and He said, peace be still. Are there still times that the devil gets on my shoulder and he talks to me and tells me how stupid I am to believe such a thing? That he's going, you really think he's going to hear you? He'll hear you. He's just playing games with you. You know what? I can flick him off my shoulder and tell him to go away. You just don't know him. Because see, in my life, he's not in a manger somewhere. He's the creator. And he made this mess right here. And he can fix this mess right here. Don't think because you're in the will of God, it won't rain. I did. I really didn't think it rained. And boy, that thing come up so unexpected, I didn't know what to do. And I began to question who he is. Why would you let this happen to me? Nobody in my family has this mess, Jesus. And it was almost an audible voice that says, calm down. It's just a journey. It's just a bump in the road. And when we get over this bump, what great things you'll be able to do for the Lord.
folks, I don't know where you are, I don't know what's going on with you, but first and foremost, if you're in a storm and you don't know Jesus, I don't know how you're doing it. I, I sit in that oncologist's office every three weeks, and I look around and I think, oh, Lord, how many of these people are trying to fight this without you? I don't know how they do it. But I sit in that office with a smile on my face with a courage that I've never had before to sit there and know, hey, he's going to take care of me. I can sing blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. It's just a foretaste of glory divine. I can sing that. You know why? Because I know he's mine. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, let me just tell you, today's a good day. Today's a good day to give your heart to Jesus. Well, Donald, you don't understand. If, if I give my heart to Jesus, I'm going to have to give up this and give up that and give up the other. Folks, I lost every friend I had. <laughs> I thought they were friends, but I lost all of them except for Ed back yonder. Ed will tell you, he was my only friend. I lost every friend I had, and I thought, wow, is this really worth it? But you know who he introduced me to? He introduced me to my family. I worked all the time. I was never home. Now I was able to spend time with my family. I was able to learn my family. We were able to learn each other. And he took a, a house, and he turned it into a home. He took a marriage that was in a wreck, and he put it back together where we actually want to be with each other. All because there was a day that I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. And it, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy after I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. I, I didn't get a new car, a new house. I didn't, I didn't get any of that stuff. But what I got is a promise. He said this to me. I'll never leave you, and I'll never forsake you. All these years later, my biggest storm I ever had came. And you know what he did? The same thing Pam did. It's just a bend in the road. I got you. That's what I have by knowing Christ. That's the comfort and the peace that I have. Do you have it? Are you in a storm? Yeah, you know Jesus Christ and you can sing blessed assurance just like me. And you're in the middle of a storm and you don't know what to do. I'm going to give you some deep theological stuff. Wake Jesus up. He's waiting for you. And he majors on you. He wants you with him. Folks, he's in the boat. And he asks you to come in and be a part of it. If you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, um, in just a minute we're going to do a hymn of invitation. Um, be up here in the front and uh, we'll share with you how you can come to know Jesus Christ. And only you can do that. Nobody can do that. No family member can pray for you. Nobody can do that for you. That is an individual thing that you must do. But I'm going to tell you something. When the storm comes, it's really good to have him in the boat. Really good. Because you can have peace that surpasses all understanding. If you're going through a crisis, you're going through a storm, folks, there's an altar up here.
You can wake Jesus up this morning and say, Jesus, you do know I'm in this, right? You do know that this is happening, right? And you can wake him up. And boy, when I came to that place, I had a peace I've never had before. I had a joy that I've never had before. Father, again, we thank you for this day. And Lord, we thank you for your word and Lord, how your word just, Lord, can make us whole, make us understand, make us see. Lord, we, we've come to this time of invitation. Lord, I, I don't know where people are. I don't know where the young people are. I don't, I don't know how many of them know you and how many of them don't know you, but you do. And, and I ask you now, Lord, just, just nudge them. Just push them in your direction. Draw them to yourself. Lead them to the front up here. Lord, let them ask Jesus into their heart so that when that storm comes, when that crisis comes, you're right there with them. They'll never be alone again. Lord, for those that are here that, Lord, they may be struggling. There's something going on in their life. Hurt has consumed them. The crisis is overwhelming them. And Lord, they need to find peace. Lord, I pray during this time of invitation, they too will come. And they'll lay down on this altar right here. And just like in verse 39, they're going to wake you up. And say, Lord, don't you care that I'm dying? I need you. I need you to speak peace to my storm. And Lord, my prayer is that you wrap your arm around them and you give them that peace that surpasses all understanding. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I know the answer to every question.